Welcome to another episode of Studio B. I am your host, Pastor MDH. Make sure that if you're joining us on Facebook, Twitter, IG, or YouTube, that you like, subscribe, follow, and or comment to make sure that you don't miss one single episode of Studio B. So here we are, everybody. Uh, tomorrow is the big day. Uh, the big day, November the 3rd, when we all go to the ballot box to cast our votes for the president of the United States and senators in particular states. Um, there are a lot of different things that are on the ballot um, this coming election. Um, so today I want to talk about something very specific um, about what is the Christian's responsibility to, poli uh, to politics. How does God expect us to respond in politics? Well, the Bible is replete from Genesis all the way to Revelation about how we are to engage in the political process. And even as we track our history as African-Americans and how we eventually got the right to vote and our obligation um, to the duties of those who have shed blood for that right to vote. How do we exercise that within a Christian context? And so we're going to be talking about what does the Bible say and talking about a couple of scriptures that will give us a little bit of clarity about how to navigate through this political season. But I want to share with you a couple of things as we kind of open this thing up. 2020, as we've talked about many times before, has been a very uh, different year. Um, but political wise, uh, America has always been divisive um, in politics. Um, we have two major parties, Republican and or Democrat. And if you look back at the last 15 plus elections, um, the popular vote in America, which has probably been around 48 to 49 percent, um, there's only been two elections that have gotten over 52 percent of the vote within the last 15 elections. So if you look at the election cycle in America over the last number of years, um, we've always been divided in regards to politics. Uh, you have two particular parties that have two varying opinions about how America should be run. That's Democrats and that's Republicans. And so when you go out to the polls tomorrow to cast your vote, um, you're going to be on one side or the other. You're going to be either on how the Democrats view America or how the Republicans view America. And everybody's going to find themselves on one of those particular party fronts. Now, we do have um, a couple of other people that are on the ballot. You never heard of them um, from the Green Party and the Libertation, uh, Liberation Party. Um, so there are actually four people that are running for president that are on the ballot. Um, but truth be told, um, they're really only two. So we have Joseph Biden and Kamala Harris on the Democratic ticket. And then we have uh, Donald Trump and Mike Pence on the Republican side ticket. So tomorrow, everybody's going to go out and do your vote and cast your vote according to your conscience. Now, there are other ballots, uh, other measures that are on the votes uh, on the ballot as well, um, like bond measures, <clears throat> excuse me, bond measures, uh, senators, um, judges, uh, school board trustees. There's a lot of different things that are on the ballot other than the presidency. But we know that this particular season of political uh, wrangling has been different. Um, and I want to I want to uh, quote a couple of things here from. Um, from Cato.org, that's C-A-T-O.org. 
And in this particular um, article that was released on September the 29th, um, excuse me, uh, yes, September the 29th of 2020, Cato.org said this, that 62% of Americans say that they have political views that they are afraid to share. It it further goes on to say that 50% of strong liberals support firing Trump donors. 36% of strong conservatives support firing Biden donors. And 32% are worried about missing out on job opportunities because of their political opinions. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about that 62% of Americans say that they are afraid to share their political opinion because of the backlash that will come because of that stated opinion. We have now entered into a time in American politics where it's always been divisive, as I've said before, but we are now entered into a time to where we can no longer find common ground between parties, at least between red and blue. There were some commonalities that both parties shared that they can make a bipartisan effort to um, to get past. We have now entered into the age of extreme politics. And so now we have varying opinions on one side or the other, and it's very difficult to find common ground between two um, uh, political parties. So this says that a national survey finds that a self-censorship is on the rise in the United States. Nearly two-thirds, 62% of Americans say that the political climate these days prevents them from saying things that they believe because others may find them offensive. So he says 62 percent of Americans say that the political climate these days prevents them from saying things that they believe because others may find them offensive. The share of Americans who self-censor has risen several points since 2017 when 58 percent of Americans agreed with this statement. And so as you look at what's going on right now in the world, especially in the Western culture of America, specifically with our elections coming up tomorrow, there is a um, parting of friendships, of families, of co-workers, um, all along the lines of political influence. It is a crazy assumption because um, at one point in time, you could at least have civil conversations with people that you had um, not necessarily the same political opinions about. But even at the end of the conversation, you guys could still walk away as friends and or as family or whatever the case may be. But now in 2020, those lines have absolutely been diminished. And so when you're looking at liberals are divided on political expression, strong liberals, however, stand out, as Cato.org says, as the only political group who can express themselves wholeheartedly. Nearly six in 10, 58 percent of staunch liberals say that they can uh, express whatever they believe. However, centrist liberals believe differently. So 58 percent, six out of 10, nearly 60 uh, percent of staunch liberals say that I'm going to express what I want to express regardless of whoever disagrees with me and or agrees with me. So we are living we are living right now in this political climate that has absolutely divided, uh, even more divided than we already have been. Now, of course, we got different uh, topics that are on the uh, table in 2020 that we haven't had before uh, COVID-19, social unrest and things of that nature. But this political climate right now is absolutely divisive. And so I want to get into what does the Bible say to the Christian 
about how I should vote. Um, my wife and I went um, to go and vote yesterday, so we've already done our early voting. And as I voted, I voted for Democrat and Republican. Um, I am not a staunch uh, Democrat and I'm not a staunch Republican. No party has my allegiance. Uh, what I personally did with me and my wife was I printed out the ballot uh, some month ago and looked at every person's name that was on that ballot so that we would have an understanding about who we were voting for and what they represented and how those things impacted my life. I've never understood a straight party ticket and why people vote straight party or straight ticket. I just, I, I just don't understand that. Um, there are side that there are, are differences on both sides that need to be expressed. There are positives on both sides that need to be found out. And when you do your proper research before you walk into that voting booth, you're able to vote um, intelligently. And when I'm always sharing with people this, you have to vote your conscience. And let me tell you what that word conscious means. It is a compound word. Con, C-O-N, means with. Science means knowledge. So when you vote your conscience, you are voting with knowledge. That means that you've done proper research. You understand what your ballot is getting ready to do. You understand the importance of your ballot, of your ballot, and you have done the research that it took in order for you to stand at that ballot box and vote. So before you go in tomorrow, make sure that you have done your due diligence and vote your conscience. Vote with knowledge. Vote with knowledge. And whatever that party may be, whatever that particular program may be, whatever that particular candidate may be, vote your knowledge, vote your conscience with that particular candidate. And so because it's important that, especially when I'm looking at um, the African-American plight and how we came to get our voting rights um, with the voting rights bill of the uh, mid-1960s and how the people like Medgar Evers, Martin Luther King, Martin uh, Malcolm X, and how the Freedom Riders and how people laid down their lives so that we would have the opportunity to vote, it is not something that we should take lightly. It is something that we should investigate because people literally shed their blood for the right of us to vote. The great John Lewis, who went on to be taken with the Lord this year, um, has often said, um, get in some good trouble. Uh, he lived his life for this all-important reason to vote. And and I, I echo the words of Dr. Tony Evans, who is um, a resource by which I draw from um, numerous times in my own life. And he says this, that no party should have your complete allegiance. Um, no party should have your complete allegiance. You ought to do your investigative research to make sure that you are making proper decisions as it relates to whatever particular party that you may be affiliated with. But this is important because this political climate that we're in right now is very, very toxic. But to the Christian, what does God say about how we should vote? Well, of course, we all know Romans chapter number 13, Paul writes to the church at Rome where he tells them in verse number one, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. 
So we got to take that particular verse and take it in context. It is not a, a context. It is not a blanket statement that can just be thrown across any po- uh, political uh, discourse. We have to look at what Paul was saying in Romans chapter number 13 and then dissect it accordingly. We know that Paul is talking to the church at Rome and the church at Rome is facing severe persecution under the hand of Nero. Um, Paul addresses them in the uh, 16 chapters of the book of Romans and he breaks it down in chapters one through 11 with doctrinal precepts about the doctrines of their faith, the primary pillars of their faith. And then he goes from 12 to 16 about practical application of those doctrinal principles. And so when he gets to chapter number 13 of the book of Romans, where he tells, let every person be subject to governing authorities, that is in the backdrop of the Roman church being persecuted in Rome at that time. And it is important that we understand this because Paul is making a absolute statement here about government authorities. But we have to also make sure that we are comparing scripture with scripture and not using a verse and or a passage to set forth a doctrine that we can broad stroke across every situation, because that's not appropriate when you're talking about Bible study methods. Paul said, let every person specifically talking to those in the church at Rome uh, be subject to the governing authorities. And then he says this, there is no authority except from God. Now, in America, we live in a democracy. In the Old Testament, they live in a theocracy. Um, They live by the uh, governing laws of God's word, his priest, um, and how they did magistrates back in the theocracy of the Old Testament. So you're looking at, in the Old Testament, a different form of government than what we have right now in 2020. We have a democracy, which is a government ran for the people, by the people. That's a democracy. And so we go into voting booths every two years, every four years, every six years, and we vote candidates um, into office that hold particular views that we agree with. And so whatever whatever aisle you may fall on, Democrat, Republican, Independent, Green Party, Libertarian, wherever that may be, you vote that particular candidate into office to carry forth ideas that you agree with. It is not so in a theocracy. It is not so in the Old Testament text. But Paul here is talking to the church in Rome because this particular church is under a crucified, not a crucifying, but a very hard king by the name of Nero. And he has some staunch and some very oppressive laws that he is imposing on people of faith. And so Paul says here to the church at Rome that even though you're persecuted by you governed by you following the rule of law, you are actually submitting up under the grace of God and the law of God by following the rule of government. Now, I want to take that thought and go to Acts chapter five, verse twenty nine, because while we are to be subject to the governing authorities, Peter tells us in Acts chapter five, verse 29, that we must obey God rather than man. So when government brings forth mandates for the Christian that are contrary to your biblical beliefs, we are obligated to to obey God rather than man. We are obligated to have a civil discourse when policies are pushed up on the child of God that are antithetical to their beliefs in Christianity. 
Peter says here, looking at the Sanhedrin, which is the government of his day, looking to those who are on the Jewish council, which is the government of his day, and saying that we, that is the child of God, must obey God rather than man. So what is the Christian's response in regards to government? When government puts forth issues, policies, and procedures that are opposed to our Christian belief, we as Christians who hold the word of God to be true must stand in opposition of those government policies and or programs because we hold an allegiance to God first and then to man. And so the role of the Christian in regards to politics is very simple by which God has prescribed. I want you to hear what Paul further says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he says this, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceable and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So Paul says for the Christian that our responsibility for those in government and those who are in high positions is to pray and intercede for them. That is our position as Christians. And please always hear this, saints of God, as Peter talks about in Second Peter, that we are pilgrims going through this world. We we do not belong here. We are pilgrims. We are sojourning through this world. Our home is not the earth. And so when you get comfortable on the earth, you lose sight of spiritual principles. And so Paul says here that we ought to be praying and interceding um, for those who are in government and in high positions, because that is our job as Christians. And then he says something very, uh, 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 very profound as we look at the Old Testament text. We know that all the way back from Genesis, when we look at the great story of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, who was thrown into prison for 13 years for a crime that he did not commit. Um, he ultimately wound up being the second in control, second in charge under the Pharaoh of his day. And then ultimately being the one in which his brothers had to come to in order to get food in which the famine that everybody was in. But Joseph was a government official of his day. Uh, he would be like, um, if I had to put it in 2020 terms, Joseph would be the vice president of his day and Pharaoh would have been the president. So we know that government goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. So it's not anything new that we are encountering. Government has always been a part of the plan of God. But Joseph was the second in charge of all of Egypt. So he was in command of the storehouses. He was in command of military forces. He was in command of programs. Uh, he was in charge of all that the government was doing in that day as being the second under Pharaoh of his day. And so we know that government was instituted by God. So how do we vote as Christians? Um, we are to participate in the political process. Please hear what I'm saying. God has not reserved the political process just for unbelievers. Um, if that was the case, then there would not be the presence of God in policies and or programs that could be flushed out to the masses. So God does expect Christians to be involved in the political process. But we have a duty to be Christians 
before Republicans. We are have a duty to be Christians before being a Democrat. We have a duty to be a Christian before being a libertarian. We have a duty to be a Christian before being a member of the Green Party. We have a duty to be a Christian before we are red and or blue. We all have a Christian to we have a duty to be a Christian before we are conservative. We have a uh, duty to be a Christian before we are liberal. Our identity is not in a party affiliation, but in Christ. But how do we vote? So tomorrow, when you're going into your particular voting booth, when you're getting ready to cast your vote, how do you vote? Well, here's what we have to understand. Whoever you vote for is not going to be in there forever. Whatever president you put in office, whatever senator you put in office, whatever congressman you put in office, whatever board of trustee you put in office, just remember that in two years, four years, six years, you're going to be right back in that voting booth voting for somebody else. Um, the only positions that is a lifetime appointment is a Supreme Court uh, of the United States. So no matter who you vote for on tomorrow, that person uh, in two, four and six years, you will be voting for again. So how do I vote? Um, for the Christian, I believe that we have to vote biblical principles. Um, we have to vote biblical principles because we are mandated by the word of God to obey God rather than man. We are voting biblical principles. And those biblical principles have to be in line with your own belief. Now, the problem that we get into is because most people vote for people that they like, not necessarily for policies and or programs or even necessarily biblical principles. We don't do that anymore. Uh, unfortunately, that's the case. Um, however, God expects us to be loyal to the word of God. I want to share an, another scripture with you very um, um, clearly here. In first Peter chapter number two, verse 17 um, and we'll be dealing with Peter. We're going to go to Daniel here in just a second. But Peter says here that we should honor everyone. First Peter chapter two, verse 17, love the brotherhood, fear God and honor the emperor. He says that we ought to honor everybody, love God, fear God and honor the emperor. He says in, 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 in the previous verses that we ought to uh, obey God rather than we obey man. So everybody tomorrow, um, everybody's going to go into their particular spots and cast your vote. We've already had uh, 48 million people who have already cast early voting, 48 million. We've had a million people here just in the state of Texas that have cast their vote um, for president, for uh, for senator and all the other positions that are on the ballot. But here's what I want you to understand. When you go into that voting booth. Um, I know the big ticket item will be the president of the United States and the vice president of the United States. But there are issues that are in your Senate that are in your um, your school board, trustees on your school board, judges in particular precincts that will affect you much more immediately than policies coming out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. So when you get down in that voting booth, I am asking you that you research the people that are on the ballot. And it's very easy for you to find out who's on the ballot and what they believe and what they don't believe and figure out whether or not those particular beliefs line up with your beliefs and then make your decision accordingly. And Deuteronomy 15 verses 7 through 11 
Here's what it says. If anyone among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand out against your poor brother. He says, therefore, I command you open wide your hand to your brother and to the needy and to the poor who are in your land. And so God gives us specific mandates as it relates to how we should vote and how we should cast our vote in these type of elections. But I want to share with you, everybody, it is extremely, extremely, extremely toxic to the poll in which I just shared with you guys at the beginning of our podcast on Cato.org. You see that 62 percent of Americans are um, afraid that their political decision or their political opinion could cost them their job, could cost them being canceled, could cost them being uh, ridiculed and pushed to the fringes of society. That is a shame that we're in this position right now. Um, It is a sad case that um, in America of all people, in in America of all places, that we cannot have um, the liberty, the freedom, the enjoyment to disagree. America was built on disagreement. America was not built on one person deciding everything for the country. America was built on on disagreement. Disagreement has a very real and very productive place in our society. That's how things get done is when we, but but we have to learn how to disagree cordially. Now, if you go back and look at um, the history of um, uh, our union, um, there have been some, matter of fact, you can pull this up on, um, on .gov sites, you can go back and look at um, the, the minutes of political, uh, excuse me, not political, but um, Senate sessions and House sessions. Uh, it gets pretty heated in those kind of uh, debates. Uh, the transcripts are readily available for any and all who want to read it. So you have people going back and forth across the party aisles, um, believing in their position, trying to argue on behalf of constituents from, from their district and trying to get the beliefs by which each party wants to do. So it's some very, very strong disagreements in those Senate sessions and in those House sessions. But the unfortunate part about the disagreements now is that they're now ending friendships. They're now driving stakes in families. They're now driving political wedges within churches, which is crazy to me, um, because at the end of the day, the political environment of our day is temporal. What matters is what we share in common. And, and I was thinking about this on the way here to to uh, to to the studio today. Man, I know it sounds like really corny that we have more in common than we do uh, indifference, but it's actually really true. Um, I watched a great movie last night called Cry Freedom, um, and it was by Denzel Washington in 1987. Great movie. Highly suggest that you go back and watch it. Um, but Cry Freedom was a man by the name of Stephen Biko, um, and he lived in Cape Town in South Africa, and he was fighting to abolish um, apartheid. And he eventually wound up getting murdered and things of that nature. But it it, it led to uh, the beginning of the dismantling of apartheid. But Stephen Biko said this, he died on September the 12th, 1977. But he said this, that if if people black, white and or indifferent would cut themselves, they would find that the same red blood comes out of both, per- of both people. 
Um, the things that we have in common are far greater than the things that we don't have in common. But it's easier to focus to focus on the differences than the commonalities. And he says the differences, although they're small, are what causes the greatest wedges in society. So this political discourse of what Stephen Biko said, that the differences that we share are minute in comparison to the similarities that we all have in common. At the end of the day, we are all created in the image of God. We all share some of the same passions, the same things that drive us. Um, and so what we share in common is far greater than the things that we don't share in common. But it's a sad part. It's a sad case in American society right now to where we are driving the wedge deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, to this Cato.org uh, article again, 50 percent of strong liberals support firing Trump donors. 36 percent of strong conservatives support firing Biden donors. The survey found that many Americans think a person's private political donations should impact their employment. Nearly a quarter, 22 percent of Americans would support firing a business executive who personally donates to a Democratic presidential candidate. Joe Biden's campaign. Even more, 31 percent support firing a business executive who donates to Donald Trump's reelection campaign. Support rises among political subgroups. Support increases to 50 percent of strong liberals who support firing executives who support or donate to President Trump. And more than a third, 36 percent of strong conservatives support firing an executive who donates to Biden's presidential campaign. Now, watch this. Young Americans are also more likely than older Americans to support punishing people at work for personal donations to Trump. Forty four percent, 44 percent of Americans under the age of 30 support firing executives if they donate to Trump. This year declines to 22 percent of those over 55 years old, a 20 point difference. The age gap also exists between Biden donors, but it is less pronounced. 27% of Americans under the age of 30 support firing executives who donate to Biden as compared to 20% of those over the 55, a seven point difference. Think about that. Think about people that say um, when, when people say that they are um, afraid to share political uh, support for either Biden and or Trump because it will affect employment. So I want you to think about where we are right now in 2020. Uh, there may be somebody that supports Biden that works in a workplace full of Trump supporters that would dare not ever say that they support Biden because they work around Trump supporters. On the other hand, there could be somebody that supports Trump that works around a, a majority of Biden supporters that would dare not ever say that he supports Trump because he works around Biden supporters. I want you to think about where we are right now in 2020. It is a crazy time because it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in the grand scheme of things for people to be as divided as they are. Now, make no mistake about it. When you go into that political, excuse me, when you go into that uh, voting booth tomorrow, you are voting on two different ideologies. Um, you are voting on two different views of America. No doubt about it. Um, you are voting on a party that believes this. You're voting on another party that believes that. What you have to do is figure out which party you align to based on your own political preference. But hopefully for the Christian, that political preference is also entrenched in your biblical belief.
Now, I am not one of these ones that says that because you are a Christian, you have to vote Republican. And because you're not a Christian, you have to vote Democrat. That's foolishness. Like, that's absolutely crazy. Jesus is not blue. Jesus is not red. Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is not a Republican. Jesus ain't even an independent. He's not a Green Party. He's not a Libertarian. Jesus is Jesus, and he stands all by himself. And what I've been trying to do in this whole season as I've had conversations ad nauseum about this political um, discourse that we're in is trying to bring people to a fair and balanced um, approach as it relates to politics. Politics is going to be politics, y'all. Politics is a game. Politics is a game. Um, It is a game that is reserved for those who know the game and know the game well. But in the course of politics, that a government in America is supposed to be for the people and by the people, we are to have a voice in our government. We are to have a voice in what our government does, the laws in which it passes, the policies in which it passes down. We ought to have a voice in that. That is the case as being an American citizen, that you have a right to go into that voting booth and vote for whoever you want to vote for and not apologize for it. Not fear your job, not fear being canceled, not fear your life, not fear in violence. You vote for whoever you want to vote for when you get in that voting booth. My admonition to you, my hope, my my challenge to you is don't just go in voting for the names that you know. Go in and make a informed political decision based on your research, based on your convictions, based on what you believe, and then walk out of that place with your head held high. Don't let the times in which we are living in influence you one way or another. When you're looking at the 2016 presidential election with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, uh, Hillary Clinton got 48% of the vote And Donald Trump received 46 percent of the vote. That's right down the middle. That literally means that in 2016, America was divided. When you're looking at 2012 with Barack Obama, he got 46. He got 47.8 percent of the vote. And John Kerry um, got 40, 45.9 percent of the vote. You're looking at straight down the middle. You look at every presidential election, with the exception of two, have not been over 51 percent of the vote. America has always been divided in regards to politics. It is par for the course. It is par for the course. When you're looking at when um, 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 when uh, Barack Obama ran against Hillary Clinton in 2008, when you look at uh, uh, George Bush, when you look at um, 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 Bill Clinton, when you look at George H. Bush, when you look at all of these particular uh, candidates and you study these election cycles, you'll see that the popular vote is always straight down the middle. There's never a 78 percent vote. There's never an 80 percent vote. It's always down the middle. Politics are divisive. We understand that. But for the child of God, for the Christian, what do you do on tomorrow? How do you vote on tomorrow? How do you make your vote known on tomorrow? What is the criteria? In Philippians chapter number three, 
I want to end here with this, and I want to go through this um, so that we can get a, a bird's eye view of what's going on in this particular text. Um, because Paul is going to say something to us that I believe that we all need to hear in this season. In Philippians chapter number three, I want to begin us at verse number one, but then I'm going to end up in verse number 17 through 21. But I want to set for you the context. Um, Philippians, of course, is a prison epistle written by Paul, one of the four uh, prison epistles uh, written by Paul. So Paul is in a dungeon at this particular time when he's writing this to the church of Philippi. And so the backdrop of this particular text offers us great insight to the words of this text, because Paul is literally in prison while he's writing this particular letter for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The government of that day said that it was illegal to proselytize Jesus Christ. The government of his day put him in jail for preaching the gospel. So I want you to remember that on the backdrop of what he's getting ready to say in chapter number three. So this is one of the four prison epistles that Paul wrote, they being um, Ephesians, that being Philippians, that being Colossians and Philemon. So Philippians is one of the three prison epistles written right around the same time of around 67 AD, uh, penned by the, um, by the hand of Paul. And it is a fabulous power pack, four chapters that you will find rich theological truths, doctrinal precepts and how practically how to live out your life as a Christian. But in chapter number three, Paul says this, finally, my brethren, he takes chapter three and chapter number four to close this short letter to the church at Philippi. And he says, rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same thing, uh, things to you is not tedious, but for you, it is my, it is safe. So Paul is writing from a dungeon because he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he has the church at Philippi on his mind while he is serving a sentence for preaching. And he tells them, finally, my brothers, this is what I want you to do. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he says in verse number four that I don't want you to have any confidence in the flesh. I don't want you to think about your higher uh, educational attainment, your affluent living in this particular neighborhood, that particular neighborhood, your designation on your job. I don't want you to place any confidence in the flesh because the flesh is finite. So Paul says, don't place anything, no type of confidence in your own abilities. And then Paul says here, because if you do that, I can do it all the more. And then he began to list his fleshly accomplishments. He says this, that I was circumcised on the eighth day, which is a big deal for Jews. He was of the stock of Israel, meaning that he could trace his lineage all the way back. He can trace his father, his mother, their parents and their parents back to the tribe of Israel. In other words, he was saying that he was 100 percent Jew and he could trace his lineage back all the way, which was a big deal. He was a tribe. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, one of the 12 tribes instituted uh, by God. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrew concerning laws, meaning that he was educated in the Hebrew law. He understood the Pentateuch, the law of Moses. He was raised in the law of God. So he understood that he was a Pharisee, meaning that he was a teacher. He was high affluent concerning zeal. He persecuted the church concerning righteousness, which is in the law. He was blameless. So Paul goes down this list about his accomplishments in the flesh that he previously just said, don't have any confidence in. But then he says this in verse number seven, where he makes a transition to where we're going to go right here. He says, but the things that were gained to me, I have counted as loss 
all of the things that he just mentioned in verse three, all the way to six, he says, all of those things were gained to me. And by other people's standards, those, those things were a big deal. But to me, I counted a loss. And here's why. For the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So all the other things that he just mentioned, all of the, the works of the flesh, the confidence of the flesh, Paul says, all of those things I count as loss for the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ. He further says this, that whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, or your version may say dung, that I may gain Christ and be founding in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but of which is that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul goes through all of this at the beginning of chapter number three about uh, rejoicing in the Lord. Remember, he's in prison and he's in prison because the government of his day said that it was illegal to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is why he's in a prison. And then he writes to them and says, do not have confidence in the flesh, but rather put your hope and your assurance in the excellency of knowing Jesus. Now, with that, he says this in verse number 17, brethren, join in following my example. And note those who walk as those of us who have a pattern. For many walk of whom we have been told, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross. Paul says this, tomorrow when you go into that voting booth, November the 3rd, 2020, I want you to remember the words of Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven not on earth, while we are given the distinct privilege, the honor, the opportunity to go in and vote, to make our voices known. We have to do that. We have to honor our forefathers who shed blood for that right. We must do that. That is your civil obligation and your civic duty to do so. But as you are going into that voting booth, remember that your citizenship is in heaven. I know it may sound clichéic. I know it may sound preachery. I know it may sound like something that we say in church. However, it is nonetheless true. My God does not get elected. He's going to serve forever. He sits on the throne of heaven right now. He's not going to be up for election or re-election in four years, two years, or four, or six. The God in which I serve is eternal. When I walk into that voting booth tomorrow, I am going in to fulfill my civic obligation as a, a citizen of the United States of America and my biblical uh, obligation according to Romans chapter number 13. So I am fulfilling both duties in that regard. My civic duty as being an American citizen and my biblical duty as prescribed in Romans chapter 13 and Acts chapter number five. So when I go into that booth, I am fulfilling both duties that I'm obligated to fulfill. However, I go into that voting booth understanding that my life is not in the hands of any politician. That while I have to vote for policies and for programs and for this and for that, ultimately, I know that my God is in control. And again, to those who are on the outside of the church, that may even seem corny, crazy and even cliched. I get it. But as a Christian, I got to have a worldview that dwarfs my political view. No matter who's in office, 
No matter what is going on, the child of God is promised by God to always be taken care of. For he says that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so as you go and vote tomorrow, and please hear me as I look in this camera, please go out and vote tomorrow. Please go out and do that. Exercise your vote. If you are a Democrat and you like Biden, vote Biden. If you are a Republican and you like Trump, vote Trump. Vote your heart. Please hear me. Don't let anybody intimidate you. Don't let, and, 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 and if they don't like what, who you vote for, who cares? You exercise your civic duty as an American citizen to vote for whoever you want to vote for. And you satisfy your biblical mandate by Romans 13 and Acts chapter number five by satisfying what God expects for the Christian to do in politics. And so in that same vein, as you're sitting around tomorrow and the votes are coming in and you're seeing this state turn red, that state turn blue, and they're calling out election results and it's going to be all throughout the end of the day. And people are going to be sitting on the edge of their seat and they're going to be anticipating who's going to be the next president of the United States. And who's going to be the next senator to represent my district and the next judge to occupy the bench in that particular court? And why everybody is sitting around looking at all of this stuff, sitting on the edge of their seat, watching 25 hours of CNN, 30 hours of Fox, 55 hours of MSNBC. Don't lose sight of Philippians chapter three, verse 20. Your citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. I know that sounds crazy, but the Bible tells me that God turns the heart of the king like a river. If you look at Romans chapter number nine, uh, which is a very, very uh, powerful passage when you're looking at the sovereignty of God, he says to Pharaoh, I put you there. God specifically says to Pharaoh, I put you in that seat. And because I put you in that seat, I can do whatever I want to do with you. And so as you're going in tomorrow, I want you to be confident. But everybody, again, I want you to vote your conscience. I want you to vote with knowledge. Um, I'm not going to give you anybody to vote for. I'm not going to cast my um, approval on either party. Uh, me and my wife have already voted. Uh, so I'm not going to influence you in any way, shape or form. But what I will do on this platform is encourage you to make wise decisions and to know that people died for you to do what you're doing tomorrow. And that it's important. It's important. It's not the end of the world. It is not the end of the world, but it is important. Uh, the world's not going to come to an end, no matter who gets in the office, but it is important for you to exercise your civic and your biblical duty um, to go and vote. And so I want to make sure that I encourage you and to this poll that I just read out of Cato.org, you're welcome to go and take a look at it, if you will. It's Cato, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G. And you can find this study that I have referenced many times uh, on this podcast about the fear of um, sharing your particular political view because it may cause um, some disruption in your work life, your family life or whatever the case may be. Um, God is a good God. God is a good God. And I just believe that at the end of the day, um, I thank God that God is in control. I thank God that God is in total and 
absolute control. Um, through this whole pandemic of COVID-19, social unrest, this going on, that going on, for the child of God, we have not missed a beat. God has kept us. God has kept us when a Democrat was in office. God has kept us when a Republican was in office. So no matter who was in office, guess what? My family always ate. My family always had a place to stay. We were never out in the cold because we don't look to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue from which cometh our help because our help comes from the Lord. And so tomorrow, tomorrow, November the 3rd, 2020, um, the early voting ended on the 30th. Um, and so you, if you hadn't voted early voting by the 30th, that is ended. Um, but on tomorrow, you have the opportunity to go in and vote your conscience. Vote who you want to see in office. Vote who you believe has the best principles for your life, your family, your well-being, your community. How does it impact you on those particular levels? I will lastly say this to you. As me and my wife went in to vote yesterday, um, again, what we did was we studied those particular candidates who were on the ballot um, so I knew every single one of them, with the exception of two, I believe. But um, 98 percent of those particular people that we that we saw on the ballot yesterday, we knew who they were. We knew what they stood for. Uh, PBS did some um, uh, debates with uh, Senator uh, Cornyn and um, the lady that he was running against. Um, um Hagar. Um, so that was on PBS and that was, but that was not on the mainstream media. So a lot of people didn't even see it. Um, but you can go back and you can Google, um, these particular candidates. You can look at them before you go into the voting booth tomorrow. You can pull up who's on the ballot so that you can, even now, even as this podcast is going on right now, you can study who's on the ballot, right? And, and while I won't give you any um, affiliation to any particular party, um, everybody, I'm, this is just a personal belief. This is, just, I can't, this is not Bible. This is just Pastor Holman. Um, when I went into the voting booth yesterday, I voted for Republican and Democrats because I found value on both sides, right? Um, do your research. Do your research. Um, do your research, everybody. Do your research so that you can be well informed um, about tomorrow's uh, election. I want to leave this scripture on your on your heart. Um, if you've been in church for any length of time, then you've heard Hosea chapter four, verse number six. It says this. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Why? He answers it. Because they have rejected knowledge. They're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. In 2020, where information is readily available to anybody's fingertips. But the reason why they are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge is because they reject it. Because knowledge doesn't care about how you feel. He says this to Hosea, his prophet, to go and tell his people Israel. Because he says to them, and since you have rejected the law of God, I will also forget your children. Because they have rejected knowledge, their kids are going to pay for what they have rejected. That's Hosea chapter number four, verse six. 
We oftentimes say that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, but you don't give the rest of the scripture. Their children will be affected because they have rejected knowledge. So when you go vote tomorrow, vote your conscience with knowledge, do your research, vote according to your biblical beliefs. And if you're watching right now, you're not a Christian. Um, you may be of some other faith. I want you to vote your own uh, conscience, your own conviction. Vote it. If you don't find the word of God, if you're not a born again believer and have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the scriptures in which I've given you today don't necessarily apply to you. That being the case, you also have a conviction and a conscience. So when you're going into that voting booth tomorrow, you vote your convictions. And saints, when you've done that, um, Ephesians chapter six says this, after, done in, after you've done all that you can do to stand, stand, stand. But don't let nobody bully you because of your beliefs. Uh, don't you dare let anybody bully you because of your beliefs. God is a good God. Um, next week, Lord say the same. We'll have um, some, some very good conversation because we will have either a second term president or we will have a first term president. Uh, either we will have a second term vice president or we will have a first term vice president. We'll know by this week, next week, when you see us again on Studio B. So I want you to be encouraged. I want you to go and vote. I want you to be confident. I want you to trust God. I want you to I want you to go in and do what God has laid up on your heart to do. And then after you've done all that you can do. Leave the rest to God. All right. So, family, thank you again for joining us on the set of Studio B. I want to uh, leave in your hands Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. It says that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Tomorrow is election day. November the 3rd, 2020. Go out, vote. Exercise your civil right, your civic duty, your biblical duty. Uh, go and vote in confidence. Go and vote in faith. And then leave the rest to God. Wherever you're watching us at on our Facebook, Twitter, IG, and or YouTube, make sure you like, subscribe, comment, share, um, so that you don't miss one single episode of Studio B. Thank you very, very much for joining us. We'll see you next week. Express yourself. Express yourself.